been in a series on the process and possessing your promise. Is there anybody that has a promised land out there that you're trying to get to? I'm not talking about heaven. Your promised land might be your marriage. It could be your financial future. It could be the ministry that God, God has given you. I walked in and I saw uh, Kelly, I, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Kirk and, and Shelly uh, Williams with us that have such an incredible ministry to young men who are at risk. I'm going to have Kirk speak for us. He's an incredible speaker, but he has helped, he has helped hundreds and hundreds of young men that are at risk. These were people that didn't have a promised land, but because God used him to build a ministry, he and Shelly, they're able to help people get to a promised land, a future, a destiny for their lives they never would have had if somebody hadn't ministered to them. It could be that your promised land is a ministry that God is preparing you for. It could be a business that's getting ready to take off and explode. But I've been talking about the process in possessing that promised land. Because you don't get there overnight. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a process. Would you do that? Tell somebody else I would have given up a long time ago if I hadn't figured out it was a process. I had to work my way to get there. Yes, I did. And I spoke with you last a couple of weeks ago on this subject. Jade spoke last week on Mother's Day. I've heard so many good things about Jade's message. She did it. Give her an applause. That's right. She just did a great job. And she's our women's pastor and, and does a tremendous job. And uh, she speaks on platforms with people like Martha Stewart and some of the most well-known names that you have ever heard of. She, she does an awesome job, as you saw last Sunday. And I salute her and her husband, Jarrell. And the blessing they have been to us uh, has been impactful. But when I spoke last, I spoke to you about the difference in choosing I want you to listen, the blessing rather than a blessing. Amen. Jacob wanted the blessing that was carried by his father Isaac and that had been given to Isaac by Jacob's grandpappy, Isaac's dad, Abraham. When God came, he said, I'm going to bless you. Abraham carried the blessing, transferred that to Isaac. And now Jacob came and he said, I don't want a blessing, I want the blessing. We read later in that story that Esau came and said, Dad, do you have a blessing for me? Oh, big difference. The blessing is a continual state of being. It's where you carry the blessing of God on your life every day. No matter what happens, you land on your feet because you're carrying the blessing. No matter what you get involved in, it's going to turn out all right. Your marriage will survive. Your, your family will make it. Your kids are going to serve God. Oh, yes. Because you're carrying the blessing. A blessing refers to a single act of favor. I don't know about you, but I would much prefer to have the blessing than to receive a blessing. In our text, we found Israel now well into the promised land, but between the mountain of Mount Gerizim and the mountain of Mount Ebal, and we take up our story there. Joshua 8 and 30, Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, 
as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel. It's interesting, Moses commanded this be done. Moses didn't get into the promised land. Joshua and the children of Israel are in the promised land. But what they're doing now was commanded by Moses while they were still in the wilderness. Amen. And as, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he, Joshua, wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel, with their elders and their officers and judges, stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The stranger, as well as he who was born among them, half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim. I want you to see this. And half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. You see that phrase continued to pop up, Moses commanded, Moses commanded, as Moses commanded, that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, that's Joshua, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel were the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. And then in Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20, I call, this is Moses now, heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, have you figured out that your life consists of the choices you're making? That both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. I want to speak for a few minutes this morning. I don't think I'll hold you long from this subject. The covenant of the blessing. The covenant of the Blessing. I want to emphasize that word, the blessing, not a blessing, the covenant of the blessing. Father, I ask that you would speak to us today how we need in our lives, every day of our lives, a word of God to guide and direct us. Lord, something that keeps us anchored to that place in the future that you're calling us toward that is our destiny, our promised land, that causes our gaze to be locked in like a laser on where you're calling us to go, where nothing can distract us and cause us to veer to the right or to the left that would make us be delayed in getting to where we need to be, where you created us to someday come to. We ask for a word to help us get there. We ask it in your name, and everybody said, in Jesus' name. Shout it out loud, in Moses entered into a covenant with God on behalf of the children of Israel. The last verses I read to you were a part of that covenant. In the book of Deuteronomy, he reminds Israel of the covenant, and this particular covenant 
if you look at the Bible, was actually the one that was established at Mount Sinai a couple of books earlier. You might would wonder why now in the book of Deuteronomy there is reference to a covenant. And does it mean a new covenant or a different one? No. It's the one that Moses and God established for Israel on Mount Sinai. Moses gave Israel instructions that they should renew that covenant and reconfirm it once they got to the promised land. That was the reason for the scripture saying that they were doing as Moses commanded, as Moses instructed. He told them, when you get to the promised land, I want you to reconfirm this covenant that God has made with us on Mount Sinai. He further instructed Joshua that when you do this, you're to build an altar and that that altar is to be built in a specific and certain way. How many of you know you need an altar in your life if you're going to get anywhere with God? I wish I could get a better amen. How many of you know that you need an altar in your life if you're going to get anywhere in your life? I don't want to go through life by myself and only be able to enjoy the product or the fruit of what I personally can produce. In this building today, the scripture tells us that there are some of us that are hundredfold, some 60, some 30. I don't know where I fit in that, that, that as it were, overview or that, that spectrum of productivity. I'm not sure where you might fit. You may know I don't. All I know is, is that doing 100% is not all that much different than 30% if God doesn't help me in the process. Because there's an extra dimension where God transcends that 100% and causes a degree of multiplication to begin to take place. And Moses said, you need to build you an altar, Israel. When you get to your promised land and everything's going well, build you an altar. Oh, how I wish that we could all learn that. Because some of us, when we get to our promised land, we, we don't feel like we need an altar anymore. And the truth is, if there ever was a time you needed one, it's when you get to your promised land. And the Bible said that Joshua built that altar of God in, in, in Mount Ebal, and that, that is interesting. He didn't build it in Mount Gerizim. He built it in Mount Ebal. You would have thought he would have put it directly in the valley between the two, but he didn't. I'll get to that in a moment. And he goes on in the verse 31 to say he did it as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded them. That is, where Moses instructed them to place it. And not only that, he said, Moses had told them, you build it out of whole stones over which no man is yielded or wielded an iron tool and they offered on it these burnt offerings and there in the presence of the children of Israel he plastered the whole thing over and then he wrote a copy of the law of Moses for everybody to see on that altar. They were required to use whole stones that had never been worked on with instruments of iron. First Peter 2.5 You also as living stones are being built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Amen. You don't know it, but when you're building your altar, you're building God a house. And God needs people that are healed. It's whole stones. Whole stones. God can use whole people. And right now you're saying, well, that kind of excludes me. You see, because we've all been through something. 
That's not the question. The question is, are you able to get through it and not carry all that many scars? I need an amen. I know you've been through some stuff, but have you been able to survive it? Put it behind you. Forgive the person that wronged you. Get over your bitterness and your hurt and your negativity and turn toward God. Begin to believe God again. Because life can take the wind right out of your sails. Am I talking to anybody? It can slip up and punch you in the stomach and leave you doubled over. And you're gasping for breath. But you've got to get over it. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to get over this. Would you do that? That's the question. Everybody's been wounded, but are you getting over it? Are you still holding on to the wrong that somebody did you in that marriage? Are you still holding on to the bitterness that you have because somebody didn't do you right financially? Or somebody in the office did something that offended you? Let it go. That's what I'm telling you. Let it go. Let it go. It's better that you be whole than that you carry around wounds the rest of your life. Second, no instrument of iron or tool could be used to shape them. God takes people as they are and he doesn't force them into shape. I want you to see that because an instrument of iron is is something that they would use to shape the stones to fit a particular shape or need that might exist. For example, if they're building an altar and there's a certain uh, size empty place right here, you'd shape the stone to make it fit into that place like a a bricklayer might shape a brick to put into a wall as he's finishing a run on that wall. God said, I don't want you to do that because I I don't want to force people to fit into my plan. Oh, I need people who are willing to be surrendered and who are willing to yield their lives who want to to be a part of what I'm doing. And then I want you to plaster these stones over with plaster and write on it, and this was emphasized, all the words of this law. Not part of them, all of them. They were told to write these words very plainly too. No one is supposed to have to guess at what God is saying. Mm. I realize that in today's world, There are folks that are afraid to speak out and say what God's word says. And I want you to understand, I believe anything we do ought to be done with love. But hear me, God's word speaks plainly about our lives. And if you're going to get to your promised land, don't you worry about the person next to you. It's you. Don't you worry about somebody sitting down at the end of the row. God's talking to you. You need to be submitted and surrendered where God can work on your life. Don't make him get the, the, stone, the, the instruments of iron out to try to shape you. That's, because when you do that, God can't use you the way that he would otherwise. They were to offer on the altar the offerings and peace offerings. And this was to complete the reconfirmation of the covenant that God had made with Israel. To fully understand now what happened at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim after Israel moved beyond Ai and continued to possess their promised land, you have to understand how important covenants are to God. That's why I'm preaching on the covenant of the blessing. The covenant of the blessing. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, they entered into a covenant with God at Mount Sinai. A covenant was a very important transaction to the people of Bible times. It was a binding agreement. The word covenant literally means the cutting, the cutting, 
referring to the practice of a sacrifice that would seal the agreement. The sacrifice would be divided into parts. And then the parties entering into the covenant would walk through it in a figure eight kind of fashion. As you know, an eight would have no beginning, no end. They would walk through that. Meaning that the covenant that we're now making between the divided parts of these animals is going to be a covenant that is going to last. And there would be the particular time that would be specified. Often it was into perpetuity. The Hebrew word covenant appears 280 times in the Old Testament. In the Greek New Testament, it appears 33 times. The word testament, when we speak of Old and New Testaments, for example, literally means the Old and the New Covenants. You can't understand the nature of God until you understand why covenants are so important to God. There were covenants that were made between people. For example, there was the covenant that, that, that Abraham made with Abimelech, and there was the covenant that Jacob and Laban made, and there was the covenant that David and Jonathan made, and I could go on and on with this. But then you understand that covenants can be made because of these examples with people. Marriage is a covenant, for example. It's made between two people, but it is a covenant that is recognized by heaven. Treaties between nations are another type of covenant made between people. But then there's a higher order of covenant. And that's the covenants that are made between man and God and God and man. Covenants between people are one thing. They're horizontal. Covenants between God and man are vertical. They're an altogether different kind of thing. Amen. The Bible speaks of at least eight different covenants that God made with man. I want you to hear me out. There was the Edenic covenant of Genesis 1 that contains the Genesis mandates that you're to go for, subdue, conquer, all of this, multiply. It is the Edenic covenant that actually establishes the principle of tithing. I hear so many people say, well, tithing existed under the law. It did, but that's not what it started. It started back in the garden. You cannot say that tithing is a covenant from the law of Moses. It isn't. It was given clarity in the law of Moses, but it was established in the garden. When Cain brought his first fruits, Abel brought the first lings of his flock. He brought to God blood, something that cost him. And you got to know in your life that if you're going to get anywhere with God, there will come a time God's going to ask you to give something that hurts. It's going to cut. Oh, I wish I could hear an amen. You see, tithing is not a, one of the laws of Moses. It, it existed under the law, but it predated it. It is actually a law of the universe. The laws in the book of Genesis in early, those early chapters were universal laws. They had to do with the regulation and the function of the world that we live in. You violate the law of gravity, you're going to get hurt. Hey, I need you to know that. And on the other hand, if you violate the principle of giving to God in a covenant, it hurts your finances. No way around that. Oh, I'm preaching better than you're responding, but let me move on. Second, there was the Adamic covenant of Genesis 3 that God made with Adam, uh, with Adam after he sinned. Then there was the Noahic covenant of Genesis chapter 8 that you read at the conclusion of chapter 8 when Noah came down from the ark and God promised that as long as the earth remained, this uh, devastation of the world by flood would never happen again. I know, I know, I know. We live in Houston. We kind of wonder about that sometimes. Amen. You live in Houston, you get a high water mark after a while. Amen. 
but God's not going to let the world be destroyed by, by a flood. And uh, then he closed with a promise that as long as the earth remained, there would be harvest, there would be seasons, and so forth. There was the Abrahamic covenant, number four, of Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. There was the Mosaic covenant found in Exodus 19 through 24, and then uh, the, the, the book of Deuteronomy and in Joshua chapter 8 that has been our text for today. There was the Aaronic covenant. The, the covenant of Aaron and his family with God for the priesthood found in Numbers 18 and Numbers 25. There was the Davidic covenant of 2 Samuel chapter 2. And finally, the new covenant in Jesus' blood that Jesus made with us. Somebody ought to say amen. He spoke of this specifically in Matthew 26, 28, Mark 14, 24, Luke 22, 20, this is the covenant, the new covenant of my blood. Amen. That covenant supersedes every other covenant that has ever been created or established. Hallelujah. This covenant is referred to at many places in the New Testament, such as the writing of the Apostle Paul in the book of Hebrews in somewhat specific detail. Now, the Bible also not only speaks of the eight covenants that God created with man historically that are found in the Bible, it speaks of the seven requirements of a covenant. We're going to get to Joshua and Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim in just a moment. There were the parties involved in the covenant. An example of this is God and Abraham. Another is David and Jonathan. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There was the place of the covenant that was significant. The Mosaic Covenant was sealed at Mount Sinai. The covenant of our sonship was established at Mount Moriah, which is why as long as the earth remains, God will have an attachment to that mountain. It was also at Mount Moriah that we see one of God's covenant names revealed. We learn there when Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac that our God is also Jehovah Jireh. The Lord who provides when you don't see any provision, it's on its way up the other side of the mountain. That's a word for somebody. You're about to give up. Keep climbing because the mountain is between you and your miracle. You keep climbing, you're going to see the miracle come over the top of the mountain the same time you make it to the top. God's not forgot about you. Oh, I wish somebody could say hallelujah. Tim, son, it's so good to see you here. Been through so many health issues. Jehovah Jireh, he's our healer. Does he keep his word, Tim? Peggy, does he keep his word? Yes, he does. There were the seven requirements of the covenant. The parties of the covenant first, the place of the covenant second, and number three, there were the promises of the covenant itself. This refers to the prom promises the covenant was meant to provide. When you read the promises that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 15, he says, I will bless you, I will make you great, and I will make you be a blessing. Those are promises of a covenant. When you enter into a covenant with God, Malachi, I'm not preaching tithing, but I just want to throw it out there. Malachi chapter 3, God said, I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you cannot receive. That's covenant. He said, try me, prove me, see if I won't do it because I keep my word. Those are promises. Deuteronomy 28, 
tells us of the 28 promises that God made to Israel in the Mosaic Covenant at Mount Sinai. You don't read them in the book of Exodus. You read them in the book of Deuteronomy. Then there was also the terms and the conditions of the covenant. With Adam, it was to give God what was his. God said, you see that tree over there? Don't you touch it. That's mine. That's the foundational teaching right there that where we first begin to see the principle of giving to God and tithing begin to rise. That's not my message, but I want you to understand this. And then, not only uh, was this a part of one of the terms and conditions of the covenant God made, which was, again, the, 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 the covenant that he made with Abraham and in the Genesis mandates, there was also uh, the covenant he made, he made with, with Abraham. And the sign of this covenant was circumcision. With Moses, it was the ten divine laws. Amen. Every time you see promises that God makes to us, how many of you know that God never, never, never breaks a promise? We used to sing an old song. Anybody remember this from years ago? He's never failed me yet. He won't ever fail you, friend. You need to know that. And then there was the duration of the covenant. In the Noahic covenant, God said, I'll never destroy the earth again with water. That's, that's as long as the earth remains. In the new covenant, oh, you got to hear this. It's an everlasting covenant that God will never leave us nor forsake us or hold our sins against us. I'm talking to somebody. You need to understand it doesn't matter what you've done. When he puts it under the blood, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. Praise God, it's gone. The devil may try to drag it up, but God said, I don't even know what you're talking about because he hides it under the blood. Amen. There was the duration of the covenant. And then number six, there was the actual dedication of the covenant. And this was the binding act when they would actually make a sacrifice. And it was, again, the word covenant was actually the word cutting, cutting something is cut. And so over time, they would begin to talk about the cutting of the covenant, the cutting of the covenant. The covenant was made binding by shedding blood. An animal or animals would be killed and its parts divided and, and the principals who were involved in making the covenant would do what I just explained and walk through its parts and swear that they would honor the agreement that had been made. And then if that was not the case, some of them would, would cut their hands. In American Indian history, for example, Native Americans, it was not uncommon for Native Americans among the tribes and later among the Anglos that came in to cut their hands and clasp hands as their hands were bleeding with a party that they were entering into covenant with who also had cut his hand. That was the equivalent of signing a covenant. It made it legal and binding. The great missionary... Uh, a doctor, Dr. David Livingston from Scotland went to Africa and stayed all those many, many years. And when he died, he had over 70 scars on his hands and arms from cutting covenant with the people in the tribes of Africa. The dedication of the covenant was observed by those who served as witnesses to the covenant. There were witnesses there and they would be there when the covenant was dedicated. And the dedication of the covenant was affirmed with an oath of blessing. I'm going somewhere, stay with me. 
Hebrews 6.13, for when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Oh, hallelujah, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply and I will multiply you. And so after he, Abraham, had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. You got to hear this. God looked around to see if he could find a witness that could hold him accountable to his word when he was making a covenant. He said, Abraham, I don't see anybody on the same level with me. Certainly nobody that supersedes me. So I swear by myself. I'm going to bless you. I'm talking to somebody in this house. You need to know that God has sworn he's going to bless you. That is the covenant of the blessing. Somebody give God a praise break right now. Woo! Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. There's somebody in this house that's walking with the blessing. You don't need to worry about a blessing if you're carrying the blessing. You can forget about a little raise if you've got the blessing. You're going to come through it and it's going to be all right and you're going to be better than you ever were before. Oh, bless his name. Bless his name. Bless his name. The old English word when you say I bless you is actually the word blood, B-L-O-D. That's the old English word. You you didn't know that, did you? When you say, I bless you, you're actually saying, I blood you. That's a clasping of hands. I'm letting you know that when I speak a blessing over you, I'm speaking the blessing that has been confirmed by God Almighty. Hallelujah. I'm hearkening all the way back to the blood. I'm not talking about the blood offered on some mountainside. I'm talking about the blood of Jesus Christ that transcends and supersedes every other covenant out there. If God could bless Abraham in the middle of all of his attacks by the enemy, you better know the blood of Jesus supersedes any blood that was offered back there at any other time. Woo! If the devil could not stop the blessing then, you need to know he can't stop your blessing right now. I'm preaching to somebody that ought to be on their feet saying, I receive the blessing. The blessing. Look at your neighbor and say, you're never going to be the same after this. Would you do that? And finally, number seven. There was the sign of the covenant. With Noah, it was a rainbow. With Christ, it is communion. In marriage... That wedding ring. Never will forget. I'll share you a little story. I came from a super religious background. <laughs> I call it the SEAL team of religion. The Green Berets. Special Forces. Commandos. We weren't the Marines. You had to be good to be a part of the group I came from. And we had rules, baby. We had rules. And one of those was if it touched the skin... It's sin. Ladies could wear a brooch, but they couldn't wear rings. I was a pastor. They said, you can't wear a ring. I was a preacher. One day I was in the lobby. This is obviously some years ago. (laughs) Y'all don't laugh at me. And there were two ladies standing behind me that didn't see me. 
And they said, boy, this is a great church. And they got this handsome young pastor, and we noticed he didn't have a ring on. You know what I did? After the last service, I told my wife, I'll see you later. I went down to Sam's, or no, Walmart, I think it was. I bought me a ring. I had one by that evening. I said, I, am, I don't care what that denomination tried to tell me. Amen. They were wrong. And I said, I'm not going to dishonor my wife like that. There is the sign of the covenant. To reconfirm the covenant of Moses with the generation of the children of Israel in Joshua 8 that had come out of the wilderness, they crossed into the promised land. And Joshua had the 12 tribes separated into two groups, six in one group, six on the other. And one group stood on Mount Ebal and the other stood on Mount Gerizim. And they each witnessed the other group affirm the covenant. Now, covenants, and I'm about done, were legally binding agreements, as I stated. There were the terms and the conditions that had to be met by both parties. Everybody say both parties. There were severe penalties for violating the covenant. Understanding covenant will actually help you understand God. One of the most important things I ever learned about God comes as a result of studying covenant. I learned that God loves everybody. I used to have a problem with this, how can you bless this one and not this one? Ah, one day I understood covenant. You see, God loves everybody, but he's not in covenant with everybody. You gotta help me, marriage is a covenant. When I entered into marriage with Jerry, there's a lot of other women around. I can talk more freely in this service because she's gonna be in the next one, okay? And I love everybody, okay? But there's other women. But you see, there's a line that I don't cross because I'm married and I'm in covenant with this woman. I love everybody, but I'm not in covenant with everybody. I gotta, I gotta take care of my family. I'm married to a woman that I said, till death do us part. For better, for worse. Now, you may be in trouble, and I'll give you an offering and try to help you out, but it's different. I'm going home with this one right over here. You understand what I'm trying to say? That one right there, I've been going home with her 52 years now. And I want you to know it's because I believe in the nature of covenant. God loves everybody, but he's not in covenant with everybody. But God is in covenant with me, and he's in covenant with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's not partiality on the part of God. No, it isn't. Not partiality at all. It's understanding the nature of covenant. I'm wrapping this up. When Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy, he had no doubt that God would keep his word and his promises to Israel. He knew that Israel was going to make it over Jordan to the promised land. And he wrote the book of Deuteronomy with the promised land in mind. The book, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses gives Israel the Deuteronomic code of laws that, has, that were used to govern Israel upon their arrival in the promised land. <laughs> Tell somebody you've got to learn to act in a certain way if you're going to stay in your promised land. <laughs> the book of Deuteronomy is unique in that it actually is three sermons. Did you know that? 
Three sermons preached by Moses to the children of Israel shortly before he is taken home to be with God and just before the people of Israel cross into the promised land. The first sermon reminds Israel of where God has already brought them from. Is there anybody here that you need to hear it in a sermon before you remember it, that God brought you from somewhere? I want you to stop. Is there anybody here that God brought you out of something? Is there anybody here that it had it not been for the Lord who was on your side, you would still be stuck in abundance? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Bless the name of the Lord. Give him a praise break. If you know where God brought you from, Hallelujah. The first sermon tells Israel where God's already brought them from, what he's already done for them. The second sermon tells them what God is doing with them at the present. And that's important because you don't always see God at work. But God is there and promised he would always be there. When you don't seem trusting. Have you ever had your kids come back from school? The little guys, and they do this trust thing where they're to stand and they're to fall back and somebody catches them. You will never fall but what he is not there to catch you. Hear what I'm talking about. And the third sermon, Moses talks about what God's going to do. The first, what he's already done. The second, what he's doing right now. And the third, what he's getting ready to do in the future. He reminds them of the covenant that he made with God on Mount Sinai. But he goes a step further. In Deuteronomy 28 through 29, he gives them the benefits of keeping the covenant and the cost of breaking it. Now, I love this as I wrap this up. I absolutely love this because it means that God has got me covered. Past, present, and future. Past, present, and future. I'm not going anywhere where he's not already there waiting on me right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The phrase, the Lord your God, is used 288 times in the book of Deuteronomy alone. 288 times. In Deuteronomy, God is affirming that he is in covenant with his people and he will act supernaturally on their behalf. That's what the covenant is. 288 times, the Lord your God. He's telling us that if we will honor him, he will supernaturally act. And we see a few of these verses, like the verse 1 of, 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 of this chapter The Lord will cause you to be set on high above all nations. That's Deuteronomy 28. Verse 7, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated. It didn't say you would cause it. It didn't say you would make yourself rise and be elevated. It said the Lord will do it supernaturally. That's why I'm closing by saying we're not talking about a covenant. We're talking about the covenant. You're living in the covenant right now. It said in verse 11, the Lord will grant you plenty of goods. Verse 9, I skipped over. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself. Verse 12, the Lord will open to you the good treasure, the heavens. God is literally saying that if we choose the blessing rather than a blessing, you're going to walk out of here carrying something. 
You get passed over for that raise. That's okay, baby. I'm carrying the blessing. I didn't want a blessing anyway. That person you think you're going to hook up with someday, they don't look your way. That's all right. I'm carrying the blessing. I don't need a blessing that's going to turn south on me tomorrow. God's got his hand on my life, past, present, future. I'm going to be blessed coming in and going out. Give God some praise right now. The book of Deuteronomy ends with a transfer of the mantle of leadership for the nation of Israel from Moses' hands to Joshua's. A new chapter has begun for Israel and God wanted to ensure them that his word still stands and his promises are secure. Say that, his word still. Tell somebody his promises are secure. This is a new chapter for Inspire Church. And God wants us to know his promises to us are still certain. Would you stand with me right now? Hallelujah. If you're visiting with us today, you're our guest. We always ask that everybody come forward and that we come together to pray at the end as a church family. I want our altar workers to please come take their positions quickly if they would. Get ready to pray with people that come forward. If you don't know God, this is the time for you to give your heart to Him. Stop walking around fighting for a blessing when you can live a blessed life of covenant. Amen. Would you come join me right now because I want to pray with you across the building. Let's all come if you possibly can. I want to pray with you. I want to pray a Father's blessing over you benedictory prayer a prayer that will cause you to leave here different than you came amen carrying the blessing the blessing the blessing that's why if you send me a text message or an email you know how I close my text messages in my emails I said be blessed and be inspired I blood you in the name of Jesus till I see you again. I'm covering you with the blood of covenantal blessing. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. How many in this building need the blessing on their lives? You need the blessing. Father, I pray right now. I pray over every family that is here, every couple that is here. I pray over every mom, over every dad, over every teenager and young person. Back there in that youth center, Lord, I pray that you'll touch them. Kids back there in that children's ministry wing. God, let your your favor, your blessing come upon their lives so they'll never be the same again. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. How many in this building right now, you really need a breakthrough in your life? Could I say, there's going to be breakthroughs in this place. 
I want to see your hand if you need a breakthrough. I'm talking to somebody. I know it because I can feel it being pulled out of me from this platform. You need a breakthrough. You need God to show up. You need God to do something. Change it all right now. You don't just need somebody to pray for you and impart a little blessing. You need something to change right now in the name of Jesus. I'm praying it. Sir, God's hand is coming on your life. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. In the name of Jesus, we pray it for your glory.